Hi, I'm Dominic Insinius, leader of The Heart. I want to welcome you to The Heart Podcast. Thank you for letting us be a small part in your journey of faith. I hope this message today encourages you and strengthens you. Big things can happen when we expect God to move, so I pray today that God would speak to you through this message. I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. Um, like Eric said earlier, we got some big news coming up for groups, some uh, really cool plans for the rest of the year, so make sure you're following us on social medias. Uh, uh, there are some very exciting things. Today, we are wrapping up our series, The God of Many Names. Um, and uh, what I want to invite you to do, if you're able to, come back next week. We are starting a brand new series called So Cliche. That is so cliche, you guys. Have you ever been going through a hard time? Something bad happened, something tragic happened in your life, or something maybe not so tragic happened, and somebody said to you, everything happens for a reason. You ever feel encouraged by that? No, not at all. Maybe you have. Maybe you're the person that says everything happens for a reason. Or God works in mysterious ways. These are some of the cliches that we're going to dig into. So I want to invite you to come back next week when we start our series. And if you can't make it back, we're going to have live stream and, and we'll throw it up on the podcast and YouTube. And speaking of, if you haven't been able to uh, be a part of the pre- uh, previous two messages for God of Many Names, I want to invite you to do that. Because what we've done over the past couple of weeks is talk about the names that we have given God. Now, for a lot of us, most of us, the names that we give God came from someone who taught us a name, right? We were growing up, maybe we went to church or we didn't go to church, but we had friends in church or maybe our parents taught us or coaches or somebody, maybe somebody like me with a microphone and a platform and too much time to talk about themselves told you, here is what God is. Here is what God does. God is a provider. God is a healer. God brings hope. God is a reconciler, or maybe for some of us, God is angry. God has a short fuse. God gets frustrated. There are so many different stories in the Bible that I could point to and say, man, God, really, he really went through some counseling between that Old Testament and New Testament because his anger was like that. He was wiping out whole races of people, and he was just clearing out the earth. He got really mad at humanity and sent a flood, and he's like, okay, fine, one guy, Noah, and his family, and that's it. Fine, the animals, and that's it. And then we're going to flood this whole thing. That's, uh, that is the ultimate turn it off and turn it back on and see if it works again. You know what I mean? That's your IT department. That was God's IT department. It's like, we're going to turn off the earth, turn it back on, see what happens. And so what I want to do today as we wrap this up is these names that we give God, that we have been taught, and then as we grow up, as we learn, as we're kind of in this journey of faith, our experiences tend to change some of those names. Because if we are taught early on that God is a healer, but then we we experience something where we pray for healing and and it doesn't happen, we can sometimes have a difficult time reconciling those two things. We've been taught that God is a healer, but we pray about healing. It doesn't happen. In fact, even worse, we pray for healing and uh, our loved one uh, uh, passes away. And so for a lot of us, what can happen if, if, if we're not taking steps in our faith, if we're not making room for faith in our life, what can happen is if it doesn't match up, if whatever experience doesn't match up with the name that we have been taught, the name that we have been told, if it doesn't match up, what many of us will do, we'll just walk away from all of it. 
And we'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. We'll say, okay, well, I can't trust God. I can't trust church. I can't trust church people, so I'm just going to step away. And some people, that needs to be a part of their journey. Maybe for you, that has needed to be a part of your journey where you needed to walk away. And what I want to invite you into today is maybe, maybe you can give God a new name. Maybe you can give God a new name that you weren't taught. I was thinking about this for myself, and I, I know that uh, I kind of joke that these are my therapy sessions, but I, I got to be honest with you all, over the five years, I have worked a lot of what's going on in my life on this microphone to you. So that, that's in your heads now, and you are permanently damaged mentally because of that, and that's something that I'm fine with. It's a risk I'm willing to take. Um, but what I like to do, and I've always liked to do this, I like to take personality tests. Anybody into that? Like uh, more and more personality tests, find out more about yourself and how you think and why you do this, whatever. So a few of us. Um, and and, uh, and uh, what I love to do that for, though, is because I like to make sure I'm categorizing myself. Okay, I'm this kind of person, and I like these kinds of things, and this is my love language, and this is my Enneagram, and this is, you know, how I approach work, and this is how I am at home. And what I find myself doing is, is, is categorizing myself, but here's what I do. If you don't know what the Enneagram, Enneagram is like, it's not a personality test, but it's something that kind of helps you understand more about yourself. And I encourage you to look it up. It's fascinating. But what I'll do is I know what my Enneagram number is, and I've categorized myself as such. So then what I like to do, and I don't do this intentionally, but it just happens this way. What I like to do is I, I meet you, and if eventually the Enneagram comes up, probably. And I'll ask you if you know what your Enneagram number is, and if you don't, I will painfully walk you uh, through it. <laughs> There's a friend of mine, uh, Caroline. I, uh, I was talking to her. We had coffee a few weeks ago, and we, I said, you know about the Enneagram? And then for the next hour and a half, I was telling her about the Enneagram and forced her to take the test. Because here's what I want to do. I want to find out what their number, I want to find out what your number is. And then now I have categorized you. And I don't do that intentionally. I'm not trying to put you in a box. I'm not trying to make sure you're held down to what I think you are. But that's sometimes how our minds work. It makes so much sense if I can categorize. It makes so much sense if there's an us and a them. You go watch, uh, uh, back in the old days, remember the old days where you could go to a sports game? Anybody remember sports? We would go to a Spurs game. It was very easy for me to tell who was with us and who was against us. And we could be great friends, but if you show up to a Spurs-Mavs game and you had a Mavericks jersey on, we're going to have a problem. You see what I'm saying? There are categories and no category is right and wrong, I mean, unless it's Spurs Mavs, and then there's a right and wrong, and we can get into that later. But we, 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 have this, we have this tendency to categorize the things in our life. And that's what I would do. I would categorize. But what I would do is, even more than that for myself, is there was things that I discovered through personality tests and through things like the Enneagram and this kind of journey of mental health that I've been on uh, that I've discovered about myself that I do not like. And I've mentioned this before, and maybe you've been uh, here for part of this journey that I've been on, but I, I am an incredibly sensitive person. My feelings get hurt so easily, so easily. If you take longer than eight minutes to answer a text, I'm like, this friendship is over. 
I have hurt them in some way. This is my fault. That is true. <laughs> Not the eight minutes. But any problem in any relationship in my life, I genuinely feel it's my fault. I genuinely feel I have done something to offend them as if I'm the only thing that you guys are thinking about all week. <laughs> you have nothing else going on except to think about how your actions are going to affect Dominic's feelings. That's what I want you to be thinking about. That's the challenge today, is be thinking about my feelings. <laughs> and so the more I discovered this about myself, I'm like, is this the burden I am putting on all of my friends and family? that I always feel like it's my fault, and what that does to the people in my life is now I have unintentionally made them responsible for how I feel. And what's wild to me is I think this was happening for the first 39 years of my life, but I've only been aware of it in the last year of my life, so that makes me like 28 or 27 or whatever that is, that math. But now that I'm aware of it, I feel like I've got to make up for all of the problems that it has done. And, I, and, and maybe it's not the same for you because when it comes to, uh, you know, maybe you're not uh, completely obsessive and neurotic like I am. But I want you to think about the things, maybe it's personality tests for you. Maybe you categorize people. You ever find yourself doing that, categorizing people? You look at the way somebody's dressed, and you can probably make some assumptions about their life, right? And I'm not talking in a mean or hurtful or, you know, middle schooler kind of way. No offense to the middle schoolers in the room, stereotypically. Not in a mean girls kind of way, right? But you categorize. Somebody drives a certain car. There's a category you put them in. If somebody is driving a van, with a bunch of stickers on the back of sports balls, okay? And there's a little tag hanging off the rearview mirror that is the name of one of the schools in San Marcos. What are some assumptions that you make? Just for fun, what are some assumptions? Anybody? Okay, a parent? A Karen? Okay. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> New series coming up, Cancel Culture. We're really going to end this church. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, we might as well be talking about who did you vote for, the recent uh, presidential election. You think parents, you think multiple kids, right? Who buys a van if they have one kid? I don't know. I don't make that assumption that it's just one kid. I make the assumption like, oh, there's a, you know, there's a basketball team in there, right? Somebody's driving a bright red, brand new, recently clean sports car. What are some assumptions that you might make about their life? Maybe they make money. Maybe they don't have kids. Maybe they're uh, whatever. Some of these categories, and that's not. A, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be categorizing things. I'm, I'm saying that's what we do. We do categorize things. So instead of fighting against a category, instead of fighting against our assumptions, what we can do is be aware of our assumptions. And once we're aware of our assumptions, then we make room to rename or give new names to the things in our life. 
There's a scripture I want to look at today, and this is juicy. Before we get into the scripture, i got to tell you about this book called Job. It's in the Old Testament, and if you don't read the Bible a lot, that's okay. I'm going to kind of walk you through the scripture, We're going to, uh, 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 the piece of it we're going to look at. But i got to tell you, the book of Job as a whole, okay, it is long. And if you're not a fan of poetry, it will be very difficult to get through. So if you're interested in understanding the book of Job, I would definitely recommend like watching like some YouTube videos on people explaining the book of Job start to finish. But it is an incredible story that tries to address a very interesting question. And the book of Job tries to address the answer to the question, why is there suffering in this world? You ever thought that for yourself? You ever thought that for the people in your life? If God is so good, why is there suffering? Or maybe, uh, maybe some of us, if God is so good, why am I suffering? If God is good, and I've been following the rules, I'm doing the right thing, I'm being the best person I can, and God is just, then why do I suffer? Because the book of Job opens with this guy named Job, and it's not set in any certain time. It's not set in any certain place. And what's believed is the author did this so we wouldn't focus on the historical aspects of Job. So we can't go to the Bible and go to the book of Job and hope that it is a historical book. There's historical context. That's not the point. Many times when you read the Bible, if you're going to get into the Bible, the different books have different points. You can't assume that every single book, every single letter in here has the same point. They don't. So the book of Job, it opens up, and there's this guy named Job, and, and all of a sudden it cuts to heaven, and apparently they're holding court in heaven, and, and God is really proud of this guy Job. He's like, man, y'all, check out this. Check out Job. He is blameless. He is righteous. He is crushing life. And there is an accuser, pronounced Satan. We've changed it to Satan. We gave him horns, and we gave him so much power. But he accuses. He says, God, hold on. The reason Job is so cool, the reason Job is so righteous, the reason Job loves you so much and does all the things you want him to do is because you have blessed him. You've blessed him with a beautiful family. You've blessed him with land. You've blessed him with animals. He has everything he needs. Would he love you so much? Would he still serve you? Would he still believe in you if you took everything away? And God famously says, bet. That's exactly what he says. That's in the Bible. That is scriptural. God says, okay, okay, let's see. Let's see if we take everything away does Job still want to be a part of this relationship? So, like I said, it's a longer book, and it can be hard to get through. i got to be honest with you. It's hard to get through. But over the next many chapters, what you see is, is everything in Job's life, including his health, slowly stripped away from him. So much where even his wife is like, yeah, you got to curse God and just die. This is rough. You're gonna, you have, you'll have to die for this to get better. And so God, the, all, all of Job's family dies, his kids die, all of his animals die. And here's what's so interesting. Y'all got to check it out. His friends come up to him, and they say, Job, things are bad, man. 
This is really, really bad. What have you done to upset God? Have you ever thought that? Be honest with yourself for a moment. Don't raise your hand. You don't have to nod your head. Be honest with yourself. Have you ever thought for, your, for, for someone else or for yourself, things are going so bad. What have I done? Things are going so bad. Is God mad at me? Is, is God mad at them? God must really have it out for that person because things are really going bad for them. I wonder what they did. And if you've ever thought that, you are living under the same assumption that Job's friends are living under. And that is the assumption that if you do the right thing and you are a good person, God rewards you. And if you do the wrong thing and you are a bad person, then God will punish you. Did I just sum up your childhood in religion? <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true and sad. That is the assumption that they were under. And the assumption that some of us are under. So let me give you permission in the next 10 minutes or so that we have together to set that assumption aside and maybe look at God a little more nuanced than that. Maybe allow God to see you a little more nuanced than good or bad. Than doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing. So I want to look at, this is, uh, the way the book is kind of laid out is, is Job says all these things about God, and he accuses God of being unjust. If God was just, God, he, Job knows I have done nothing wrong. And Job's friends are like, it seems like you have. Did you forget to do that lamb sacrifice on Monday? You know Monday is lamb sacrifice day. You know, like it's trash day, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I was at this morning. <laughs> You must have missed something, man. And Job was the kind of guy, like, he would sacrifice, he would do all the sacrificial stuff you're supposed to, and he would sacrifice even more than he was supposed to in case his kids had committed some sin that he wasn't aware of. This is how righteous and blameless Job was. So check this out. So Job is accusing God of being unjust. Many of you, thousands of years later from when this was written, have maybe accused God of being unjust. So watch this. Check this out. This is so interesting. This is Job's friend responding to him. This is part of the response. He says, do you think you can explain the mystery of God? There's this theme of, okay, Job, who are you to accuse God? Watch this. Do you think you can explain the mystery of God? Do you think you can diagram God Almighty? God is far higher than you can imagine, far deeper than you can comprehend, stretching farther than Earth's horizons, far wider than the endless ocean. Just for a second, leave this here for a second. Just for a second, can you try to grasp how big God is? You ever try to grasp it? The word big is not enough to describe how big God is. I was looking up definitions this week. The word huge does not do justice for how big God is. The word gargantuan does not do justice for how big God is. Y'all, we were driving out to Round Rock today. Don't get me started. And we, or not today, uh, yesterday. And we passed the new uh, Tesla Gigafactory that they're building. Y'all, this thing is so big. It's so big. We were driving for a mile. We still weren't past the end of the building. You know those big construction cranes that was in the middle of San Marcos for like a year and a half? No offense to San Marcos, but construction, I mean, does construction ever finished up? Okay. Um, 
Yo, those, those construction cranes, there were 15 of those cranes out there. I counted them. I thought this thing is humongous, colossal even. Even those words aren't enough to describe how big God is. So if God is this big, is it possible that the names that we have given God are are limiting what he can do in our life and who he is in our life? If you're taking notes, write this down. Every name that we give God can unintentionally limit our view of who he is. Every time we give God a name, we narrow just a little bit what he can do and who he is. Giving God a name isn't a bad thing. Helping categorize things in your life is not a bad thing. But we have to know, we have to be aware. Every assumption that we make, every category that we categorize, every name that we give God can unintentionally limit our view. Write this down if you're taking notes. If your name for God is something that he does, then maybe you can give God a new name today for who he is. We have a focus in our culture for accomplishments, doing. When you meet someone, what's one of the first questions you ask them? What do you do? (laughs) In our minds, what we mean is what you do helps us to get to know who you are. Why? So you can categorize them. Come on, man. We are categorizers. But I'm going to challenge you today here in a few moments to give God a new name. And if your name, a name that you have for God is something that he does, maybe you can come over here and give God a new name for who he is. Because sometimes God doesn't need to do something for me for me to have faith in him. In fact, if we look at the book of Job, (laughs) God is doing the opposite for Job. God is undoing a lot of Job's life. God is undoing Job's family, undoing his riches, undoing his health. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert at the end of Job. The question is not answered, why is there suffering? That answer does not come up. Instead, it addresses what we can do in the face of suffering, and that is trust. That's what faith is. We are a type of people, all of us, that are on a quest for certainty. Woo, we love us some certainty. Mm. We love certainty, bro. Come on. Give me something I'm certain of. But I'm telling you, certainty is the opposite of faith. If you are certain about something, you no longer need faith for that. I want uncertainty in your life because when there is uncertainty, there is so much room to practice faith. When there is uncertainty, there is so much opportunity and space to give God a new name. Maybe today your new name for God can be trustworthy, not because you trust him, but because you want to. And maybe you can be so bold as to say, I'm going to name God potentially trustworthy because I'm not there yet. Do it. You'll never get a push from me to hurry up and be somewhere in your journey of faith, to hurry up and call God this, that, or the other. It's got to be in you. It's got to be a step you make. It's got to be a choice you make. 
That's what's going to make it powerful is you making the choice. Okay, if you're taking notes, write this down too. Giving God a new name grows your faith in God and your imagination of what is possible God. Oh, you didn't know you could have imagination when it comes to God, right? Well, yes, you definitely can. Oh, yes, you did. When you give God a new name, it grows your faith. And it, it lets you think of new ways that God can be a part of your life. Last thing I want you to write down is this. Making space for a new name for God. Make space for God to move in your life. And I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what God moving in your life looks like or, or, or where you're at, what, you, what your needs are, where you're at in your relationship with God. I don't know all those details, but you do. You, you know what a small next step could be for you. Maybe for you, a, a new name for God is redefining a name that you've already given him. I know I maybe have shared this before, but I told you all that through this journey of discovering more about myself, I not learned that I was sensitive, I always knew that, but became painfully aware how that sensitivity, how those hurt feelings were causing people in my life to manage my emotions for me. But here's what I did, is I gave myself permission for one week to be sensitive. Even still, I feel a little bit uncomfortable saying that I'm sensitive. And I got some, you know, I got some issues there with that. I gave myself permission to get my feelings hurt. Because I always really disliked that part about me. I always knew that my feelings were easily hurt, but I just, oh, I got so mad at myself that my feelings were hurt so often. But once I realized once I let myself get my feelings hurt, once I gave myself permission to be sensitive, to be emotional, what I discovered is that is what allows me to connect with people in real ways, in deep ways. So I can't not like this side of myself that is emotional and gets my feelings hurt, but then also love that side of myself because it allows me to connect with you guys, allows me to connect with my wife, allows me to connect with my son on incredibly deep levels. I let people into my heart quick, for bad or good. <laughs> I let people into my life quick. And what I've got to square up with is that that means I can get my feelings hurt and I can learn how to deal with that, but it also means, oh man, I've got some incredibly deep friendships, y'all. I have deeper relationships with people now than I ever have in my entire life because I know that the same place that my feelings used to be so hurt because I wanted things to go a certain way, now I have renamed that part of myself. I have given that a new name. I have seen that God has not made me just this way, but has made me all of this, and because I'm all of this, I get to choose how that shows up in my life. So now I don't need to be mad at God for putting this side in me where I'm so emotional and sensitive and I get my feelings hurt all the time. And I'm just unfriending people, you know, on Facebook and then refriending them again when I'm not mad at them or I think they're not mad at me, you know. Look for some requests here pretty soon, you know. They're like, I thought we already, weren't we already friends with Dominic? Is that a hacked account? 
My challenge for you today is to give God a new name. Or what you can do is pick a name that you had for God, that your experiences have maybe challenged that, and maybe you can redefine what that means. Maybe you can redefine what healer means because if in your past healer has meant God will heal everything all the time as long as you ask in the right way, then that could be disappointing. But if you can redefine, maybe you want to redefine healer to mean that God is there to comfort you in times of trouble, then maybe your experience can look a little bit different. Because at the end of Job, what you'll see is that God has never left. God has been there the whole time. And God says, the world is not so easy as black and white, Job. The world is not so easy as if good things, if you do good things, you get rewarded. If you do bad things, you get punished. God, in the book of Job, y'all got to check it out. He says, life is a little more nuanced than that. Categories aren't so clear up in heaven the way they are down there on earth. And by the end of the book of Job, Job has given God so many names in that story. He has accused God of so much. And then God tries to explain to Job how big he is. God tells Job, where were you when I created the heavens? Where were you when I created and named the animals? Where were you when I was doing all this? Who were you to accuse me? And by the end of the book, Job gives God a new name, a God of trust. Maybe that's it for you today. I'm going to challenge you to pick a new name for God, a, game you, a, a name you have never given so that your faith is stretched, so your faith can grow. If you could close your eyes real quick and bow your heads. I'm, I want to pray for us, and I want to give you a challenge today. That's the challenge. I want you this week to take time. Maybe go back and look at Job chapter 11, verses 7 through 9, and say, what is a new name that I'm going to give God? What is a small step of faith that I can take? And if you're going to take that challenge this week, on the count of three, I want you to put your hand up. One, two, three. Put your hand up real quick and leave it there. Okay, put your hands down. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful to be able to have this opportunity to be in this community together for all that you are doing in our lives, the lives of people around us. God, I pray that this week we would take the, uh, take the time to think about how big, how huge, how, how amazingly great you are. The hope that you have given. The faith that you have given. The chances that we have to connect with you. I pray that we would pick a new name for you, God. That we would make space in our heart, in our spirit, in our faith for you to do more and be more in our life. We love you and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Heart Podcast. At The Heart, our mission and goal is to connect people to the heart of God. If you would like to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit us at www.theheart.church for more information. If today's message connected with you, we want to invite you to share it with someone who might benefit from it. And if you live near San Marcos, Texas, we'd like to invite you to visit us this Sunday morning. We have two experiences for you to choose from at 9.30 and 11 a.m., all happening at the Spot Cinema House and Eatery. Remember to be bold this week and connect with those around you. It's how our relationships grow and how your faith grows.